Marini's Media. Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. This week, title race? What title race? Have Kilmarnock killed off Rangers trophy hopes because of Brophy? Probably. Elsewhere, Aberdeen have scored. In fact, they've scored four times since we last saw them. And as Storm Dennis wreaked havoc, Scott Pittman slid into more than just Gary Holt's DMs. And Jamie Hamilton's handling seeing red again. Plus, we're talking with Scotland's captain and asked who will stay longer in Europe, Scotland or Scottish football? I'm Andrew Slavin, and joining me in the studio is the one and only donut maker himself, JJ Bull from The Telegraph. That is in because no one will know what that's reference to. I made, I got bored on Friday and made a video of me making donuts, and they were really good. I was surprising myself. <laughs> I'm, old, I'm actually jealous. I'd quite like to make donuts. But also joining us from Copper 90, it's the marksman, Finley Marks. Hello. But you prefer Finn, don't you? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Is it, is it just when you're in trouble, people call you Finley? Pretty much, yeah. JJ, how were your donuts? You were actually really pleased by them, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, just uh, they were really good, yeah. I actually watched it. I was impressed that you made more out of the the dough balls. You didn't waste a thing. Well, that's the thing. You can't waste the holes. They were they were important. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they refer to, isn't it? When you buy them, I don't know, like bits. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it's really it's on my Twitter. If you want to learn how to make a, I can donuts. actually plug your your Scotch pie one is actually better. I think they're just different, Andrew. They are. It's not always competition. We've heard before your love of Scotch pies, and yeah. I have also brought Scotch pies down from you, for you, you did. from Scotland, because that. I'm a nice guy. But anyway, uh, enough about food, let's talk about football. Thanks to the continual effects of the winter break, we've got a double game week to look back on. So to sum up what happened midweek, the title race may have ended after Kilmarnock made a killing after Eamon Brophy wolfed down an 88-minute winner, which seriously damages Rangers' title challenge. Celtic's 5-0 win over Hearts ensured the holders extended the gap at the top to 10 points. Elsewhere, the Foundry and Aberdeen were pouring the free pints after the Dons finally scored from open play in 2020 and beating Hamilton 3-1. And Motherwell, 2-1 loss to St Johnston meant Aberdeen moved up to third as well. Hibs and Livy were the other sides with wins midweek too. But what happened this weekend, we're about to find out. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. So guys, a Desmond was played out during Dennis at Tyne Castle. Another way of putting it, Hearts and Hamilton drew two apiece in the capital. Do you like that one? But you got to say 2-2, two, two. you can't say two apiece. Yeah, De- yeah, I know, it's true. I know what you're doing, but unfortunately <laughs> you have absolutely <laughs> shagged your joke. Thanks very much. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I mean, cleverer people than I would have understood it. Clearly you did and you have corrected me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton was the undoing of Hamilton because Jamie picked up his third red card of the season for what was deemed to be a deliberate handball and allowing Hearts to get back into the game after Marius Ogkampo had put Aki's 2-0 up Hearts have Walker and Halkett to thank for their comeback though don't they guys? It was a really peculiar game because uh, Hamilton I couldn't believe how much space they had mm. breaking forward and then they got these two goals even though Ogkampo almost contrived to miss the first one that he had which was going <laughs> to roll too many he just kind of hit it goalward and it almost was saved but I, I couldn't believe the space that they had in behind him the Hearts defence it was crazy but you see the um, the sending off which was 
It is astonishing, right? I'm not the only one that just thought that was... It was... Uh, the, the, even by the, the laws the, of the game. Well, even by the laws of the game, what, he's he's adjudged to be the the last man and a deliberate handball. So if if it was deliberate and the ball was going to go through to... I don't know who it was. And was it Liam Boyce? I'll just tell you. I've got it here. It is Liam Boyce, yeah. Yeah, so then it, it's the right decision. The referee looks like he's made the right call, but the, the thing is we can see the other angles after the game. Um, and it does look like Hamilton's not looking at the ball. So it's, it seems harsh for it to be deemed as deliberate, right? I, I know he's running away from the referee, but even just using your common sense, it it, it doesn't... It's that doesn't look like a, like a deliberate handball. <laughs> it's so stupid. And also, I think other people were talking about like a, a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity, but it, it wasn't. He was still miles so, so, the so the So Hamilton have put an appeal in for this. Do you think it will be... Uh, reduced. Yeah, I, I think so. And the reason, like, so the only thing I can think, I'm trying to give the referee a bit of a uh, credit, the way he's running, because he's behind him when it's happening, mm-hmm. it might look, it sort of looked like he puts his, his left arm up, he throws his arm up to connect it to keep the ball from rolling away from him. But when you see the same replay, clearly it's just it's bumped off, like it's part of his body and then onto his arm. It's not, mm-hmm. it's never F- from the replay. To me, it looked like, and I don't, I, I, I wasn't at Tynecastle, so I, I don't know. If, if it was part of the play, but the weather was miserable across the country the whole weekend. And it looked like from the replay, I don't know if the wind had kind of, where he's tried to chest it or control it, and it's kind of pushed a little bit beyond, dropped onto his left arm, and then down onto the ground. I, that It just looked so that's what accidental. Hearts, that's what hearts are relying on now, an act of God to give them hope into this, into their, their, their relegation fears. Because let's focus on hearts and let's focus on Stendhal and his impact at the club so far. I think it's one win in 11 games and that was over Rangers. And it seems now that back then when they'd beaten Rangers, everyone was thinking, right, this is the stepping stone. This is what Hearts have to replicate into their next coming games. They haven't managed to do that. Their points per game is are now worse than what Craig Levine had. I just, though. I mean, it's a tiny difference. So are you confident that Stendhal is making the right changes to Hearts at the moment? I think it's good having Stendhal in, right? So let's, let's see if I can explain this in a way that sounds key, like coherent. You could get any manager. So Craig Levine was playing something like a four-five-one, like everyone always does, right? You play four-five-one, you sit at halfway, and you just you work harder than the other team, and that's how you get points. Or you play a four-four-two, and you attack with the wingers, and you swing the ball in, and you or the, like St Johnston in the in the weekend. Uh, like the goal they score, Stevie Mays, was like an 80-yard punt as high in the air as it could possibly go. They win the second ball and they score from it. That's kind of the hope. And you'll go far in the Scottish Premiership doing that. You you can sustain a career at two or three clubs doing that. Stendhal's trying to bring in a style of play, which is, to say it's modern, sounds a bit stupid. But it's uh, basically the kind of thing that Liverpool are doing, what Lipsig are doing, all these sort of teams playing with a, a counter-press. You have to play a high line to do it. You press high to force people to clear the ball long so you can then win the ball back and go with it. You can show the ball where you want it and then you should have numbers over to be able to attack. It's kind of new to players in Scotland. I think it's an entirely new philosophy so you can't just rely on these players to know how to do it. That takes Mm -hmm. time. You need training to do that. You need players who can do it. So Stendhal could have come in and then you could argue that what they could have done was brought someone in a little bit like Levine maybe just a bit more proactive, uh, proactive more, more attacking and trying to give them some confidence in the players don't change anything too quickly and then go from there and then Stendhal could start slowly implementing his stuff but this might be his only chance to get this done so 
I think it's good for him to go in and be like, right, we're doing this my way now. We're doing this, bang, bang, bang. Slash it all out and start from, you know, give yourself a good, like, point zero so you can go from there and take it on. They were already in horrible form. They're bottom of the table. Mm-hmm. Like, they were already in terrible, terrible form. Players are all over the place. Clearly dressing room unrest. The club's a bit of a mess, stop top to bottom. Levine's still there. What they Was he working from home or something like that? <laughs> it's all, all over the place. And you can see that kind of on the pitch. And then if they don't get results, the players might start doubting what the manager said. I know we had David Priest a while ago and he said that's not really what happened. But it, I mean, it must be the case that the players now don't believe it. But there was the, the, the unfortunate thing for Hearts fans is that there, there always seems to be that kind of grasp kind of positiveness that seems to be just in reach the, the signings of of um Liam Boyce for one the the uh Jamie Walker coming back from injury again these are good players they've sh- the we've seen their good players and where they've came from but trying to adapt to Stendhal style and we're just not seeing the the difference yet but you, you can't see the difference you can see the difference in, on the pitch like, it's obvious like the but goals... you can't but you're not it's not it's not becoming of results. You're not seeing results. Yeah, but this is the thing with football. You can be the better team and still lose. It's the were they the better? The probably argue, not. But yeah. a lot of things. It's not just that the managers... against ten men, JJ. Yeah, but they came back from two 0 down. They needed they needed the ten men for them to be able to get back in the game. It's just they're all over the place just now. You can see Stendhal's looking at that, going, "What the hell are you doing?" Mm-hmm. It looks to me as though they've spent all their time working on things and training. They go on the pitch and then they just forget it, which happens with players who aren't very good. And they have good individual players, but that does not make for a good team. I, I think, I think, from my own viewpoint, is that this was a, a marker for Hearts to say, well, our closest rivals for relegation was Hamilton. Win this, and that that really is... They've got to beat teams that are around them. They were 2-0 down after 20 minutes. That's shocking at home, and it's not good enough. And I think, you know... Whatever Stendhal may be trying to do at Hearts, I think it's obviously going to take more time, but how much time do they really have? But what's the alternative? Well, we don't have any more time (laughs) to talk about Hearts or Hamilton, so we're going to talk about Kilmarnock and Hibs, because the race for thirds gets even more interesting after Hibs beat Kilmarnock at the weekend. The Edinburgh side now five points off that place, and it was Greg Doherty and Adam Jackson with the goals for Hibby's ending Kelly's run of four unbeaten. The thing that really strikes me is they've really nailed their the January transfer windows because Greg Doherty had an absolutely brilliant game. Newell plays it back onto Doherty. Up against O'Donnell. Cuts inside, shapes to shoot! What a wise decision from Greg Doherty and a stunning goal. The guy who was player of the season at Shrewsbury and he really marked his first goal for the club spectacularly thin, didn't he? Is this not a second goal? Did he not score in the Scottish Cup as oh, well? Oh, sorry, his first goal in the league. It's not a surprise. I th- he's When he came through at Hamilton, uh, he looked really good. I think when he went to Rangers as well, uh, he, initially he looked very good and he's looked good in patches. So we know he's a good player mm-hmm. and I think just that kind of style of player, he's given a... a I think well, he's not really been given a chance at Rangers at all, but I think he'd be much more trying to adhere to a system and a role within that Rangers team if he's coming into that midfield because of the designated roles they have in that midfield. I think at it, it Hibs he's given a slightly more free role and I think it's the kind of thing that he flourishes in, which is what we saw at Shrewsbury as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great because it's direct and he can take on players and the, the finish was magnificent mm-hmm. in that game yeah. as well. Are we starting to feel the impact of Jack Ross? When he first came in, I don't think we did. 
But now he's, t- I think when he took over the club, it had been 12 points in 12 games. But now they're looking good for a top six, really, JJ. Maybe even higher. I think last week, didn't we say that we can't really see what impact Jack Ross has had? Yeah. He's had a win, something we're like, oh, yeah, we can see the impact. Like, it just takes time. It's- this is only based on the fact that they're <laughs> beating a side that is also challenging for a top six league. I bet all these teams are much of the same, aren't they? Like, Killy Hibs are all, <laughs> like, they're all going to finish somewhere between fourth and eighth. <laughs> They can all beat each other. One team has to win each week. One team has to lose, or they draw. And uh, <laughs> like Hibs here, so he's changed the system. I think I like the way Jack Ross speaks. There's a few good um, interviews with him and videos. And that the coach's voice is a good website, and they've got yeah, uh, they've got yeah, a video really with Jack good. Ross in it, and he takes apart one of the games. I can't remember. I think it was a Sunderland game he took apart. Maybe. Anyway, I like the way he talks. I like the way he wants his teams to play. You need the players to do it. You need coaching time. You need coaches who can help you do it in the training ground. And uh, they play all right. Like they've got. I mean, they played in Kilmarnock here, so they switched to a back three because that is how you win against a back two. And then you've got Slivkan as your muscle in midfield, Doherty and Allen to go and do some attacking stuff. And you've got width and pace from Newell and Boyle. Like, it just works very well. And then Christian uh, Doidge is uh, managing the score and he's got some confidence. There's a lot of players that rely on confidence are better when they have confidence. And now they started to win and score. Lo and behold, these players are a lot better than they suddenly were. And you think at the start of the season, no wonder they weren't very good. The people like Josh Vela in the middle of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Like we said, just from watching a little bit of him, you could tell he wasn't really going to set Easter Road on fire. Sure. What are you going to say about Jack Ross? Like you, you can see, I think you can kind of judge a manager at the end of the season after, over what he's achieved and what his final statistics are and things like mm-hmm. that. But you can see that he is changing the system and getting the balance right, and he's brought some players in. A lot of them were players that were there last year. So is that really Jack Ross or is that just people going, oh, we should have kept them? Yeah. I think that's the key thing. It's What you're saying there is balance because I think they've got that balance going through the team now really well. We spoke an awful lot under Heckenbottom at the start of the season that um, they, they lost so many or, or drew so many games. I think that was the problem from winning yeah, positions. Right, they yeah. just lost these... It was kamikaze defending stuff. Like that. Weirdly, the same kind of stuff you're seeing across the city uh, hearts. But um, they're, they're a lot more solid now. But that's that, I think, is the is is the marked difference. Jack Ross has uh, been in charge of 15 league games now for, for Hibs. They, of those 15, they've won seven, drawn three and lost five. So that's 24 points from 45. But a win average of... 46.7 if you compare that to the 12 games they played without him as manager in the league so far this season their win average was only 16.7 mm. so it shows you the difference in hanging on for games making sure that you see games over the line that turning those draws into victories has seen them rocket up the table and it's it's it was almost like it was small and simple changes yeah but that's what you expected of him he's he's clever and knows how to do that but it's all about the balance that's the important that's thing. it and it's um he doesn't <laughs> his changes are made to try and gain control of the match and get that winning goal whereas a lot of people say like, "We need a plan B," which means put on the tallest <laughs> man that you have, and that's and that's just revert to type, and you just launch it. But Jack Ross has his. Why do you keep saying Jack Ross? This is Ross. It's always Jack ah! Ross. But you just have to. He just keeps the ball on the deck, and they play nice football. It's funny when because we do always say Jack Ross. He has to be um, first and second name terms, but his real name is John James Ross. Which is always baffling. We've been me. through this before, though, didn't we? We I have, told you. yeah, we yeah. have. But uh, anyway, what about Kilmarnock? Um, and we should probably, we probably knew that Kilmarnock were going to be fairly inconsistent under Alex Dyer because he has taken over halfway through the season. Um, but they did have a. 
pretty amazing victory over Rangers last week. Um, Alex Dyer said post-match on Wednesday, I'm just happy that we showed what we can do after showing Rangers too much respect in the first half. If someone says, that reminds me of a Steve Clark team, I'll take that all day. I learned so much from the gaffer. Do we think Alex Dyer is going to be a pretty good manager? Well, he could learn from Steve Clark, who is a very good manager. Very good manager. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can't remember who is it is it David Priest who said that maybe he's he's going to be a really good coach. He's 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 really highly regarded. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a very good training ground coach. And Steve Clark's people often speak of Steve Clark's training and say it's great. It's always new. He does different things and that. So I don't know if that applies to being an actual manager or something. I mean, if you have someone who's the best at organizing the spreadsheets team in your office, <laughs> that's the thing, right? <laughs> That doesn't necessarily mean they can lead the whole office and take you to a glorious new yeah. You have to have business park. <laughs> you have to have leadership qualities. Yeah, I think the players trust him. I think they admire him, and that's really, really useful. But that doesn't mean that he is doesn't. You don't have to be a tactical genius. It's got to be often you need more like your man management. How you get players inspired. How you read the game. How you know when to change little bits and pieces. Kelly, like I think at the start of the season, I'm pretty sure if we went back, I'm pretty sure I said Kelly would be sixth or seventh. At the start of the season, you wrote an article at the start of the season after I think eleven games. I didn't predict the six or seven, Alessio, right? and I yeah. think you did in your your article. Well, there you go. But it's not over yet. Uh, but anyway, that's Edinburgh dealt with. So up next, we dissect Rangers and Celtic. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for oh, and the keepers let it slip through his legs in the ninety fourth minute, or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCampbellAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. After ruining what hope Rangers might have had on the title midweek, the Glasgow side were able to save some face thanks to Scott Arfield's winner over high-flying Livingston. They've had to rely on Arfield for goals in recent games. That's his third in as many now. So, Finn, what has happened to Rangers in your eyes? Well, they've kind of dropped off a cliff spectacularly since since the winter break. James Tavernier was saying in the press this week that he was kind of at a loss to describe what's happened. I think it's probably a, a mixture of different things. I think... The break just came at the wrong time for Rangers. I'd say, by and large, between August and and the end of December, Rangers were pretty much the best team in the country in terms of the football they were playing. They were two points behind Celtic, but had a game in hand at that point as well. And I think before the Livingston game, Rangers had dropped as many points in the the five games before Livingston as they had done in the 20 Mm -hmm. league matches before that. Um, so it just shows you the the drop off. Um, I think injuries have been a factor. Uh, the fact that Tavernier, Morelos, Defoe, Jack, and Barisic have all been missing at various points, and especially the fullbacks because they're so crucial to Rangers' shape and the way that they play. So if Tavernier's out and it's only Barisic that's playing, teams just double up on the, on on the left hand side, Rangers' left hand side. Uh, Barisic has been out the last couple of games. Actually, Haldi's deputised okay, but he's he's not Barisic. Mm-hmm. So they just double up on Tavernier on the other side. Uh, Jack's been carrying an injury since I think the start of December. Just hasn't looked the same because he was in unbelievable form for the first four five months of the season. 
the suspension of Morelos, I think, hasn't helped. And then there's you know, been a lot of stuff in his personal life that's been going on in the media. I don't think that will have helped at all. It's kind of compounded, I think, by the fact that Gerard, at times, you just need to remember, he's still a very young manager. And it's interesting, just harking back to the whole Greg Doherty thing, It's if you were a Rangers fan, you must be frustrated looking at somebody who's playing really well in the last couple of games for Hibs in centre-mid and looking at Rangers centre-mid, which has looked so toothless recently, even though it's got Steve Davis in there, mm-hmm. Ryan Jack and uh, Aribo and Arfield. Arfield's the weird one because he's kind of... It's almost like he started his season now because he played all through the summer with Canada, came back absolutely wrecked in a shadow of the former, uh, shadow of the player that was there in his first season at Rangers. But he's weirdly almost had the winter break as his pre-season. So it's no wonder that he's come back and he scored, I think it's what, four goals in his last three games or something like that. So, but Gerard, I just think, is a little bit naive sometimes. I think the game against Kilmarnock, they were 1-0 up, not playing well. You need to know how to use your squad to 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 see out games I think that's the kind of game Davis was on the bench bring him on play the quarterback role take the sting out of the game don't let Kamarnik get a foothold back into it because they were dominating the midfield in that mm-hmm. second half and against Livingston as well it was interesting because the the change came and it, Gerard isn't great at making early changes but he did make one against Livingston which was just after half time I think he gave Kent 10 minutes he'd been really poor he's just out of form he's a young kid he'll go in and out of form he gave him 10 minutes at the start hooked him off and brought Camberry on who I thought was brilliant actually playing wide of the three so he played in Kent's position wide of the three on the left uh, up front and and Hadji dropped slightly deeper and because Hadji is a two-footed player who's always looking to progress the play that's when they started making chances and it was his through ball for Arfield that was yeah. the breakthrough and with a team that's not playing well that is what you need so I, I think it's, it's a combination of things but uh, they need to figure out how to turn it around quickly otherwise the league will go very very quickly well there, there seems to be a nerviness to Rangers now and it's getting over that hurdle as well because that's just something that they've created themselves but Gerard has been heavily critical of refereeing and he said and is he right really to say that officiating needs to step up we've not spoken about refs that much this season <laughs> JJ I'm sort of bored that it's the same in <laughs> At, this, at some point, you just accept that it's it's a uh, you rolling dice. You're just throwing. But I mean, there was two there was two moments in this game that I'm sure probably everyone has seen when a, uh, Morelos' goal was chopped for offside, as this and it was the same for um, Florian Camberry. Are we in agreement that they were both offside? From what I've seen, I would say Morelos was quite clearly onside. I, I think agree. Camberry's, I think he was probably off marginally, but mm-hmm. I think he was off. So I think they got that one right. The other decision, I think, the, well, there were two actually, two decisions. There was, a, there was a red card, well, that didn't happen, that should have been a red card for, I think it was a tackle on Connor Goldson, which was horrendous let go, but that happens every week. Um, and there was also, my favourite one was the handball um, oh, from yeah. a corner kick that came in. It held the guy's hand so clearly. And I think Stephen Gerrard said in the post-match that the ref had said to Connor Goldson, I can't give that because of the conditions. So the ref didn't give a penalty because he felt it was unfair that the wind had blown the ball into this player's hand. As, even as though you, it was you and, really you and Anderson high. was the referee. Yeah, it's clearly a penalty. It's, yeah, it's one hundred percent a penalty. I mean, th- these are the these are the moments where you it just takes the pressure off when it when when decisions go wrong. Okay, some of them were correct, but those ones that need to be right and they don't go right just adds another level of pressure when you're already nervous. I th- I think Rangers can, they might have a case to feel slightly grooved as well because looking back to the League Cup final, 
there were some decisions that went against them quite spectacularly that day. Um, and also in the midweek game at Kilmarnock, uh, Morellis was uh, it had a headed goal that was given, uh, not was disallowed because it was a judge to he was a judge to fouled Finlay in, in the build in mm-hmm. the build up to it, it pushed him, which I think was incredibly soft. So again, that's th- this should all be underlined and caveated with the fact that I think Rangers should be performing miles above where they are. And they should be seeing off teams comfortably. But in a title race, you will go through periods where you're not playing well. And that's the kind of little things that you need to go your way. And instead of coming away from Rugby Park with no points, they, could, they mm-hmm. should have come away with at least one. Well, Livingston could argue that they should have came away with at least a point because, you know, Eamon Suda forced the best out of Alan McGregor. And we had Lyndon Dyke smashing the post. It was lovely technique, um, but just couldn't find the back of the net. But a more important point to note is um, Scott Pittman's perfectly slide tackling of Gary Holt. Have you seen that? (laughs) It was a great tackle. (laughs) Absolutely. Scythes him down spectacularly. Holt also looks raging after he's done it. He's the type of manager I don't think I'd like to piss off. No, definitely not. I can see Gary Holt being um, at a bigger club next next season, yeah. I don't think anything. You say bigger club, what are we in Scotland or. Even uh, in England. Hearts are such a disaster that they could quite conceivably get rid and put him in there. What about Kilmarnock? Former is it, player? Is it bigger than Livy? He's got Livy going really well just now. I mean, it's bigger gate, isn't it? But uh, maybe. <laughs> I, I'd say the same thing actually about Lyndon Dykes. I've been so impressed with him yeah. in, in large parts of the season. Is he, is he capped by Australia? He's not capped, but from Australia. He's I, not I would give him a shot in well, the he's, Scotland squad. He's said because he's, his parents are from Dumfries, uh-huh. which is where I'm from. <laughs> um, but oddly, it, it's I, I think the level of football was actually suiting him because I do think it's different from the Scottish Championship where he was with Queen of the South. And he was more of a frustrating footballer for, for Queens. Um, but he was also the perfect foil for, for Stephen Doby. But I think the level has actually helped him because he's getting a bit more room getting a bit more space and he can be really frustrating to defend against because he's tall he's a bit lanky um, but he's also quick and as we saw against uh, Rangers he has a decent shot on him he just I think delays his decision making a bit too long for me that that frustrates but yeah I, I don't see why we couldn't give him a shot at Scotland he's still only 24 as well which I think is the same age as Lauren Shanklin and obviously Shanklin's Poacher, what well, I mean, that's a bit unfair. He's, he's a very good natural finisher. I think mm-hmm. Lyndon Dykes is more a foil to that as well. Exactly. But I, I don't see why there's there's any reason that he shouldn't have at least be part of the squad. I'm not having Lyndon Dykes as <laughs> a <laughs> solid international striker. Why not? All right, so we end up playing Norway in the qualifications, right? They've got Erling Haaland, who's what, like a generational talent, one of the best young strikers I think I've, and I'm not. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. One of the best young yeah. strikers I've. I've I just really I'm so excited watching the player and he's got it, everything. And then we're gonna put Lyndon Dykes up front. Well, we w- could put him in defence. He's tall enough. Oh jeez. I mean <laughs> You have to work with what you've got. And if they've got Holland, uh, you know, we've got Scott McKenna at centre back, so that's fine. There you uh, go. There you go. Uh look, Aberdeen scoring issues appear to be a thing of the past. But Celtic will be Celtic and they beat Aberdeen to notch up their ninth in a row thanks to Christopher Ayer's winner. Oh, look at Christopher Ayer! There it is! There's the Celtic goal! They might just win this game! But JJ, Aberdeen looked good in this game. They've really managed to turn their season around this week. Now in third position and Sam Cosgrove was um, on the bench because Curtis Main is 
been uh, performing pretty well, hasn't he? Yes, there's been a change in system and it's worked very, very well. There's a few things actually, not just the system that has changed with Aberdeen. So he's gone for a, a back three and uh, Funso Ojo is back playing and it's been really good. He's playing like a six. And you've got, uh, well, against Hamilton, you had McGeech and Ferguson in the midfield. And against uh, Celtic, it was um, uh, McGinn playing up front with, with Main and uh, Ojo and, and Ferguson playing behind him like a like a four like a three two thingy blah, blah, blah. three get, two thingy I'm getting confused with myself <laughs> basically so they've been playing a back three Constantine McKenna and, and Taylor and it's really working very well you've got Kennedy giving you a width you've got McGinn playing through the centre with a striker Main is in for Cosgrove who has maybe suffered a bit of confidence drop and he's definitely a confidence player so many are but Main's been magic like uh, he's like playing like Vardy like Jimmy Vardy at Leicester running and pressing the ball really high up the pitch he's the trigger for the pressing mm-hmm. so when he goes and he goes every single time other people follow it's quite it looks like contagious you know get these players that people just copy them yeah yeah, yeah. so it, he's been doing that and it's not that he's <laughs> and also I, descri- I think I described him as a human wardrobe earlier on like he's big lad right but he's got really clever little touch he sees things happening in, in tight spaces he's much better in these closed environments than I thought he was going to be he looks like a someone you lump the ball to but he's actually a lot smarter than uh, that's how he looks it's so harsh god I am not I'm a lot stupider than I look and uh, he's just been genuinely very good and he's got a goal against Hamilton he scored the first one a lovely little finish and against Celtic he did so much off the ball and a lot of people have moaned like when Aberdeen played Celtic one of the three centre-backs that Lennon will play even if it's a two one of them will just run through on a pose all the way through but Main doesn't let that happen he just works harder than Cosgrove who stays largely static to act as the the point of reference for passes. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's happened with it is rather than just pumping it 80 yards every time the defenders get the ball, like even Ash Taylor stopped doing it. Short passes, little triangles everywhere, diamonds being made, and they're getting numbers forward. Against Hamilton, we saw it a lot that they were getting, like Sheffield United. I think maybe McKinnis has been watching Sheffield United and copying this. Because you see there's different passages of play where normally you'd give the ball to McGinn out wide or Kennedy out wide and they're 1v1 and that's it. You've got to take on the fullback. It's really hard to beat a fullback. Even if you are a better player, it's very hard. Defender always has an advantage here. They hook a ball into the box, clears, move, breaks down. But now, if you you pause the game at any certain attacking point, you'll see Aberdeen have at times four players in the same wide space. That doesn't happen before now, and it's really working. Just getting like Constantine joining the attack, having midfielders around it means they're able to keep the ball higher up the pitch, and it meant that they were more in control of the game against Celtic than there have been in any recent ones but they still had to rely on set pieces to look dangerous if you know what I mean it was, it was still a lot of crosses against who? into the box against Celtic I bet Celtic they haven't lost a game in like four years <laughs> yeah well that that's all fair and well but I mean Celtic did do what they normally do yeah, but uh, in context, like no one beat Celtic. Livy have beaten them when he had ten men. No one beat Celtic. Actually, the stats on this one were absolutely incredible. Um, it's, uh, there were some floating around on Twitter from um, uh, Agent Scotland. So this was Neil Lennon's fiftieth win in sixty-one games since he returned to Celtic. Mental. Mm-hmm. And so that win rate is eighty-two point two percent. And he's so that makes him actually the fastest manager in Celtic's history to get to 50 wins faster than Rodgers who was 64 O'Neill who was 63 and even Steen who was 71 and also Celtic haven't dropped a single point from a winning position in the league so far this season yeah I mean it's the, the numbers are staggering and it just seems to kind of remind us of last season when Celtic came back from the winter break and they just came and steamrollered this, the, the rest of the season. Like, I know it's, it's impressive. Crazy. That. It's impressive that they've done this. But, but they should be doing it, right? It, yeah, that's, where you're going, that's where you're going to. Exactly. Right? And it's 
and, and people because of my uh, soft spot for Aberdeen people think it's just like sour grapes whatever it's not the whole league as it is across Europe is broken like you have leagues across it. I mean PSG will never not win that league that Monaco win one of a kind won't happen again the problem with Scottish football at the moment is that this is it kind of forever it's going to be Celtic Rangers might get a couple in but the the difference I mean they are in a different world financially to Rangers even even with the money yeah. that Rangers are pumping into it and it, like Rangers have to get Champions League football soon because the amount of money they're putting in or they have to do well in the Europa League because there's no way that's sustainable the wages and the money they're spending it's just not so, so <laughs> but you can't really bridge that gap to challenge Aberdeen someone said to me on Twitter yeah but like Aberdeen have lost in eight games or they haven't beaten or drawn the Celtic in eight games like, yeah but I would say honestly to get one decent result against Celtic like a, a nil-nil would be in, in, in one in one occasion in ten games would be a real achievement, and that's the same for any team in the league. But look, JJ, we've um, got exciting news because we we are going to change Scottish football next month, aren't we? How's it? Oh, is that because we're going to do a thing? Yeah, we're going to do a thing. Is it next month? We're, it's next month, man. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to Glasgow, then Aberdeen, and we've got a special guest to announce, don't we, JJ? Oh yes, I'm very excited about this. So it's not only the wonderful Andrew Slavin. And myself going to these uh, these live podcast shows we're doing. But ex-Scotland manager Gordon Strachan. Hell yeah. He's going to teach us a thing or two. <laughs> yeah, I think he'll teach us a lot, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> How to talk about football, for one. Uh, good, yeah. But yeah, uh, look, you guys can be there if you want. Uh, if you don't... I'm... No, no, well, please come. Ignore, ignore him. Please come. <laughs> I think tickets are around about £14, £15, something like that. Yeah, exactly. But you need to head over to the totallyfootballshow.com slash events and you'll find out all the details. Um, We've got a whole show. It's all going to be good fun. And Gordon Strachan. JJ, you're looking very smooth in the face. How has this happened? Well, Andrew, I've, <laughs> I've been using Harry's because it's all about a smooth, close shave. Mmm, that sounds good. And hey, do you know what also sounds good about Harry's? Please tell me. <laughs> They're a company that supports the football community. They're backing football's other guys, the five-a-side teams and the Sunday League squads that bring the bibs, lay down the cones and tape the goalposts every Sunday, all for the love of the game. And Harry's will be celebrating grassroots football with a competition at the start of March. Think changing room makeovers, new kits, goalposts and other much-needed things to revitalise the ground of local teams. To find out more about their competition or to get started shaving with Harry's, head to harrys.com forward slash Scottish. For just £3.95, you'll receive a trial set worth £11.50, which includes a razor, a five-blade razor cartridge, foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover. Go to harrys.com forward slash Scottish right now. That's harrys.com forward slash Scottish and you too could be as smooth as JJ Bull. Right, there's just one more match to go and it's Ross County 1, St Johnston 1. It was Billy Mackay's 94th minute equaliser that salvaged Ross County a point against St Johnston, leaving both sides 9th and 8th in the table respectively. It's Billy Mackay! <laughs> Have you got a song about Billy Mackay? No, it's the ICT song, cup final oh, song. Oh yeah! ICT! That's so good. You have need... brought shame to your li- family. I'm going to listen to that tonight. For St Johnston Finn, this was a real opportunity missed. And a kick in the teeth, really, because they were all over them. They could have overtaken Kilmarnock in the table. 
and level on points with Hibs as well. So how scared of Tommy Wright would you be after letting in a later equaliser? Yeah, I'd, wouldn't I'd... it have been great to be Xander Clark who <laughs> didn't really have a save to make? No, and Xander Clark also didn't have a very good game midweek either. <laughs> he had the um, it was a long range effort uh, that Long scored against him, which kind of he fumbled. He was in the wrong position, that hit mm. off the post, and he could have saved it, but he kind of scrambled back in. Yeah, he didn't have a good game. I yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't believe St Johnson didn't win it. They were actually playing some unbelievably good stuff, especially in the the, the first half. Like the the goal was brilliant, but there was some really lovely passing triangles, attacking moves. I think they'll be gutted that they didn't take all three points. But fair, fair play to Ross County. Like, Ross County have done this time and time again this season. Mm. The amount of last-minute goals or goals in the last 10 minutes that they've scored um, is, you know, a testament to, to where they are in the table because they, they're fighting tooth and nail to to, to stay up. The, and, good, the good thing for know. St. Johnston, though, is that Stevie May looks like he's kind of Back to the Stevie May we remember no, from ages ago. Get him in the Scotland squad. Four, four, <laughs> goals, four goals in eight games, and you're only annoyed because he never did it for Aberdeen. <laughs> He's not. He's not. That was a good finish, though. I think the keeper should have saved it. Really? Yeah. I think he. So he hits it low. It's not really good. It's, it's a decent enough finish. Like It's, it's fine. But like as I was saying, for, for all your passing triangles, the goal is still the boy launching it towards the space station and it lands and they get the second ball and, and come away with it I'm glad to be scoring goals but he's not <laughs> I'm not suggesting he's you know going to be international level I'm not Look, saying that before at all. we started recording you told me you want Lyndon Dykes and Stevie May up front for Scotland I did not that is a lie that is a barefaced lie because he shaves well anyway Ross County uh, are exactly as good as they are so that, and if you want to look at expected points and goals they're pretty much exactly where they are St Johnson are a little bit under they are just fine <laughs> well sadly for Motherwell and St Mirren their match was called off um, but the good news is you get to see them face each other on Tuesday instead in their Scottish Cup replay so it's not all lost unless the weather means it's postponed in which case you won't get to watch it god damn the weather why do we have a winter break why do we have weather <laughs> what is it for absolutely <laughs> nothing Anyway, speaking of the future, it's time for us to have a wee chat with our good pal, Paddy Power. Lee, what are the chances that Rangers can actually turn this 10-point gap around in their favour and win the Scottish title? Oh, it was so sweet while it lasted, wasn't it? But what was briefly Europe's greatest title chase-ish is now just another foregone conclusion. Celtic 1-14 to to win the Scottish Premiership, with Rangers a distant 7-1. to there's another domestic competition, of course. Both teams head the betting for, but again, the Hoops are favourites to win the Scottish Cup at 6-5. to five. Coming up this week, though, we've got European football again as Celtic face Copenhagen and Rangers take on Sporting Braga. What are the chances of them getting both wins? Really interested to see how Rangers in particular approach their match. They're narrow favourites to beat Sporting Braga at home, 11-10 to 10 to win at Ibrox, and even narrower favourites to qualify for the next round. Celtic, meanwhile, are a similar price to win their first leg, despite being away from home at 13-10 to 10, and a 2-5 to five to go through. So that means, put them together, you can get just under 4-1 to one on the old firm, both winning their first legs, or around 1.66-1, to one, very specific, that both go through. And now that Aberdeen have found their scoring boots again, I reckon they will pump Kilmarnock 3-0 in the Scottish Cup replay. What can I get on that? And weather permitting, what about Motherwell versus St Mirren? 
<laughs> I love your decisiveness because it seems our traders could do a bit of that. They're struggling to separate Killian Aberdeen, let alone by three unanswered goals. The Dons we make six to four favourites to win the replay, which is almost the exact same price as their hosts. Kilmarnock are thirteen to eight. As for your three 0 win for Aberdeen, it's twenty five to one. Weather permitting, which is a big question mark, of course. Motherwell are ten to eleven to beat St Mirren. The visitors are eleven to four. The draw and the carnage that that would bring, more so than any storm, is twenty-three to ten. Now it's not all about the men because women play football too, and Scottish women make World Cups, so they are definitely better. And the great news is we're speaking with the captain, Utah Royals defender, and massive Aberdeen fan. Yes, there's more than one JJ. It's Rachel Corsi. Rachel, does Storm Dennis make you glad to spend most of your time in Utah? <laughs> I mean, I would like to say yes, but I think at the moment there's about five foot of snow in Utah, so I'm, oh! I'm quite glad to be. I'm quite glad to be here at the moment. But yeah, the, the sunshine in summer is probably worth me going back. How how is your time being over there so far? Yeah, it's been really good. I think it was it was a brave decision to go um, in the first instance, and then I've I've been fortunate. I've been in two really different but I think really cool places Um, I spent three years in Seattle which yeah I properly fell in love with the city and it's the one place I tell everyone that they have to try and visit and then obviously I've been in in Salt Lake City for the last two years and that's a contrast to Seattle but it's one I really really enjoyed and especially the football side of things I think in the last 18 months I've really really enjoyed sort of my surroundings and environment um, and the club so yeah it's been great Can I ask you about the World Cup? Sure Amazing. Uh, the Argentina game, the the, the final one, uh, was one yep. of the, the most angry times I think I've ever been watching football. And me. It was, <laughs> uh, I mean, to watch it was, I'm sure you've heard of this before from everyone else, but I'm not going to ask you, like, how did you feel or anything like that, but is it taken, I mean, what did it take to get over that? Um, it's actually interesting you just asked that because I had a meeting today with Shelley Kerr, the national team manager, and that actually came up and... I actually don't think many of us have probably even truthfully dealt with it. I think it was a, a blessing in a way that we immediately had qualifiers for the Euros that were about four to five weeks later. Maybe it was a bit, maybe six weeks, but very, very quickly afterwards. Yeah. I also was in the middle of my US season, so I virtually jumped on a plane, flew straight back to the US and was back in club football. And I think in a way that was good at the time because it, it didn't allow you to feel the full probably emotional overwhelming feelings that probably were there but at the same time <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous that at one point in time they're just gonna all come to a head and I think it's just one of these things in life and in sport where you go through disappointments and um yeah I mean there, there's no real way to kind of explain it it's, it was unique was well, I hope horrible it was. <laughs> yeah yeah um, is it the kind yeah, of thing do you think just... would uh, like bring the uh, I had to say this it sounds kind of stupid is it the kind of thing that can bring the players together is that could maybe spur on something because the performances were so good is the thing like, it was just so unlucky mm. that that was to happen you must feel that there's a real group of players there that can do something uh, I'm not saying that you should be winning any trophies or anything <laughs> like that but certainly getting further like it's, 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 a, it's a good team right yeah I think I don't know that that necessarily brought us closer. I think we'll have a really great group who are actually really close. And that's that's actually even unique in a club environment to have that an international mm-hmm. 
level, I think, is even more rare. But I think we all have a lot of self-belief. We have some great players at the moment. Like It's one of these sort of spells where, you know, the youngsters that were coming through have all matured at a time where there's sort of four or five players. You can't, you know, one game, it's Caroline Weir who, you know, does something spectacular. And then you've got Erin Cuthbert, Kim Little, Claire Emsley. There's so many who individually can change a game. And we, they're all sort of coming to their prime all at once. So I think that's really exciting. And I think it that is something that motivates us and keeps us encouraged and keeps us driving forward. And I know that we're so desperate to qualify again for the Euros this time around. And we have a favourable group and we, we believe that we can get through that. And and ultimately, yeah, the, the pressure now has changed and the mindsets have shifted whereby we do understand that if we do get to the Euros by not progressing would be seen as a disappointment because we are yeah. so talented. And so, yeah, that, that is really encouraging. What do you feel about the kind of the potential in the future of of women's football in Scotland? Because a, a lot of the uh, Rangers and Celtic are obviously making huge strides in trying to make uh, their women's teams turn professional. You know, you yourself and a lot of the, the players that you just mentioned there, like Kim Little, Aaron Cuthbert and everything, if, if you get to a certain level, it's almost like Scotland's a glass ceiling. You have to move abroad if, if you want to be professional and, and kind of get to the highest point that you can. Do you, do you think that the, the Scottish game's going in the right way, that, you know, young players coming through in Scotland could stay there and have a good, long international career from playing for teams like Glasgow, Hibs, Rangers, Celtic and that kind of thing? Yeah, I hope so. And I think you like to kind of have that that target. I think there's some elements of, you know, I think Celtic and Rangers announcing they're going professional. I think I'm intrigued to see how that kind of translates and how it quite looks. And, you know, professional has a lot of different meanings, I think. And so it'll be interesting kind of what parameters they put in place to promote their programme. I think we need that to happen. I think we'll always also fall into the category similar to the men's football whereby England and abroad may always be appealing. Um, but but I, think, I think one of the major things is by having a professional league in Scotland is that it does enable youngsters and, you know, little girls and boys to dream of going on and playing sport professionally. I mean, I obviously grew up just thinking that was... I, I mean, I didn't even think about it really, but I loved football and so I just watched men's football mm. and that was great and I've still got to where I've got to, but I think it's really, it'll be helpful and encouraging and I think we'll have more interest in the sport and if you've more interest, you have more people playing, you have more chance of more quality and, and so forth. I think that will hopefully open a lot of doors and and hopefully allow so many players coming through in the next 5, 10, 20 years to go on and achieve some great things that are far beyond what we've achieved as, as current professionals and I think that's something that whilst we enjoy our own career we still also feel a huge responsibility in understanding that we're part of a legacy and we're part of an important period of time where we can really accelerate the growth. Well Glasgow City are obviously achieving great things because they're in the Champions League quarter final aren't they? Um but we yeah. should talk about the national team because like you mentioned um some key games coming up in the Euro 21 qualifiers and playing at home against Portugal in April and Finland in September at Easter Road in Albania in June at Tynecastle. And the last time you guys played at Easter Road, there were 6,000, over 6,000, I think. And the aim now is to top that. So how can we get behind the team and how can what do people need to do to get there and support Scotland? I mean, turn up. 
<laughs> you've done That's a, you've the done answer, great, folks. You've done a great job plugging it. I loved it. Thank you very much. No, I think um, I think the biggest thing is just having it out there in the media, and I know that um, there was conversations at the end of last year because whilst obviously six thousand was a record for a home qualifier, I think we're actually really disappointed because I think there was I know there were some issues with the ticketing at that point in time and. I think we probably sold ourselves short because I think the interest in the game probably was was far higher than that, especially off the back of a World Cup. So we've set ourselves a new target and I think the, the players themselves do a really good job of, of trying to market the game and um, the association has a plan in place to try and maximise that because I think we can push boundaries and, you know, you see, you see England always seeming to be the first and mm-hmm. setting the records and all these things and there's... There's no reason why we can't push things and, and look to try and sell out stadiums because, I mean, as you say, you saw from World Cup, there's just so many people interested, so many people watched. And and I think now as well, I think so many of the fans realise like they actually do have a huge impact on us and the momentum they give us actually helps us to continue that success. So, you know, we're all in it together and I think hopefully we'll continue on an upward trajectory with getting getting fans in the gates and coming to watch. And you win. That's the thing. It's a, <laughs> it's great fun to watch. <laughs> like, it's so nice to be able to support a team. You're like, yes! I know. I know. It is, it is genuinely really good. Like, Albania coming up, she'd absolutely pump them, right? I know you're not going to say that on air. <laughs> Fine, no, um, that's game. I, hope, I mean, it's a game that we ultimately have to win, so... Yeah. Well, if if you're um, if you're in Aberdeen at the end of the March, at the end of March, sorry, um, you know we're doing a live show. <laughs> are, are, you, are you available? Stop plugging the show, Teresa. <laughs> I've already plugged the show, but I'm now plugging it to you know, you know, it'd be great to have you. I would love to be there, but I am going to be in the US at the end of March. God damn it, Rachel. Sorry. <laughs> I know, it ruins everything. Unbelievable. Well, listen, best of luck with everything that's coming up. All the best for the Great. future, Rachel, and thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Rachel Corsi, Scotland captain. Right before we end the show, um, Europa League is back. European football is back. And how confident are we that Celtic can beat Copenhagen in Copenhagen? JJ, do you know much about Copenhagen? Can I say Copenhagen one more time? <laughs> I don't know much about Copenhagen just now, no. So, Well, I can tell you, um, they are pretty much excellent at home. I think they've got the best home record in Denmark. Um, are they the Celtic of Denmark? But they, they, have, they have just been on a two-month uh, winter break. They have a winter break too, but they have it for two months. Mm. So I, I don't know how they might be feeling towards this because I think they've got quite a lot of injuries. They lost on Saturday to a team that's fighting relegation as well. So I'm kind of thinking Celtic are in a good place to try and get a win away from home because they've been better away from home in Europe under Neil Lennon. Obviously, the Lazio win sticks in my mind. I think there's the kind of games where, it, where it's backs to the wall. I think in terms of what the teams are, I think Celtic and Copenhagen are much more level in terms of their abilities and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if they'll win in Denmark, but I would fancy them over the two legs. I think they would have too much for Copenhagen once they get them back to Celtic Park. Yeah, I think, I think I've got it written down, actually. Kilmarnock. Um, <laughs> Copenhagen have only got one defeat all season. I think that's at home, and that was Malmo in the Europa League. Um, but what about Rangers over Sporting Braga? Because Braga have been excellent in recent weeks, haven't they? Yeah, in their last seven games, they've beaten Porto twice, Sporting twice, and they just, uh, at the weekend, won 
at Benfica. That's the first time in 65 years and 63 attempts they've won at the Estadio de Luz. And it means they're unbeaten in their last 10 games. So absolutely perfect to be meeting a Rangers team that can't <laughs> can't string more than three passes together. I think, I think it's cliche, but Portuguese teams are all actually really very good. Like You can see they're very good international football as well. Yeah. And Braga's team is a lot of uh, Portuguese homegrown players and uh, a lot of Brazilians as well. Well, this is, I think they held, they, they beat Wolves as well and drew 3-3 Wolves, which I think was an amazing game. But I think even their coach is pretty comfortable at the moment because he's won eight of his nine games as Braga head coach. And he says his side feel unstoppable ahead of facing Rangers in the Europa League following their 1-0 win away to Benfica. And like you said, yeah, Ricardo it's, Horta it's just, was their best player. Yeah, what what's he like? A left winger and he likes to dribble and do attacking things <laughs> yeah play football I, basically I've only seen highlights I've only seen highlights of them so I don't I, I couldn't give you in depth I mean that's it I know what I'll do I'll google uh, I've got him on FIFA 20 I believe he is a 79 rated player well there you go so there you, you go know, the, thing is, the thing is Rangers have beaten Porto themselves I, th- I think that's something uh, that goes into it and exactly. the, the other thing I think that, that weirdly might help Rangers going into this is actually it's a break from the pressure of of the league I think they've they've been shown to be quite well suited to playing against European opposition. I think weirdly as well, the other thing that might go for them because the games at Ibrox, they um, the pitch looks like a paddy field at the moment. I, th- I think that might go in their favour against uh, against Braga too. Um, I think they play nice football in Europe, Rangers. I think, I think they, they do. Weirdly, it sounds stupid, but they're better suited to play in Europe than they are against teams in the Premiership just now. I agree, and I I, I just think with the I, I just think the distraction of it weirdly I think could be a good thing and. Their, their record at home in Europe is is pretty impressive as well. Uh, Braga be no mugs. I, again, just looking over for the two legs, I could see Rangers beating Braga, but I would be very surprised if they got through over two legs. Do you know what my job is on Thursday? I am actually watching every single game on Thursday. Wow. That As part of my job, I have to be across all of those games. Wow. There you go. I don't know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> I do have some help, but it's going to be tough. But as our time in the studio reaches the end, it's time to say goodbye. And thank you to Finn. Thank you to JJ for arriving on time. We have to have some music here, like, Fair Long. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to give this a solemn Fair goodbye. Long. Yeah. So long. I don't know. Oh, God. But anyway, we've got Little Kicks, so that's even better than what you're suggesting. Yes. So next week, we'll have more football talk, hopefully without any storms to discuss. But listeners, we'll see you next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. From the Horse's Mouth. From the mouth of a horse. From the mule's muzzle. From the pony's trap. From the cob's gob. You get the picture. From the Horse's Mouth. New episodes every Friday. Muddy News Media.